Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Fogdy. I am the pastor of worship and connections here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, many thanks to Ben and the team for, for leading us this morning. So it's a, it's a blessing just to be in the congregation and, and sing with you, proclaiming the glories of our Savior. And now I have the privilege of standing behind this pulpit to proclaim God's word today. Under Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution, the president is given the authority to commission officers in the United States Armed Forces. The officer is to carefully and diligently discharge the duties of his or her office. The officer is to observe and follow such orders and directions as they may have been given by the president or the president's successors or other superior officers that are acting in accordance with the laws of this country. In reference to this commission, one author stated, upon being commissioned in the armed services of the United States, a man incurs a lasting obligation to cherish and protect his country, and to develop within himself that capacity and reserve strength which will enable him to serve its arms and the welfare of his fellow Americans with increasing wisdom, diligence, and patriotic conviction. This is the meaning of his commission. The office officer then makes an oath declaring a commitment to serve his or her country by faithfully discharging the duties of the office in which he or she enters. The U.S. officer serves at the pleasure of his superior and likewise we who are in Jesus Christ, those who have taken up our cross to follow Jesus Christ, serve at the pleasure of our one true master, Jesus our master has given us, his people, a greater commission to follow. We see that in today's text, so please take your Bibles and open up to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, as we look at Christ's commission to disciple, Matthew 28. We'll be focusing on verses 18 through 20, but let's start reading at verse 16. Starts this way, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Martin Luther said, these are the words of a majesty, which must be termed majesty indeed. 
of this passage, one New Testament scholar says, this is the pinnacle of not only Matthew's gospel, but the entire New Testament. This is the mission of God's people. You may be sitting here today not really thinking about what your mission is as a follower of Christ. You may have heard last week that you are to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Christ, but it sounds a little inconvenient. You may be sitting here today and and think that our mission as a church is to just be friendly to each other and friendly to the world around us. And don't get me wrong, (laughs) we are to do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, as it says in Galatians 6, verse 10. But is that our primary mission? If we are to deny ourselves, if we are to take up our cross and follow Christ, we must do what he did while he was on this earth. His purpose on this earth was to glorify the Father. As it says in John 17, having accomplished the work which the Father gave him to do. And what was this work? Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our work, our mission, is Christ's work. The Father sent the Son to be Savior, and we are sent by the Son to be ministers of reconciliation, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We can get so caught up in, in peripheral issues that we fail to fulfill this commission that's been given to us by the one whom we claim to follow. May we allow God's word to sharpen us this morning as we fulfill this commission, this great commission, the greatest commission that's been given to us so that God may be glorified in our lives. Now, in this passage, we'll see three elements of this commission. And as we consider these three elements, may we commit ourselves to this most important work, this work that's been granted to us by our master. Why? So that he is glorified. And so right off the bat, we have our first element, which is the power the power. We see this in verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now the disciples had come to this mountain to hear from their savior. Some had a worshipful attitude, even though some were doubtful, but they were waiting to hear what their savior would say to them. And despite some doubt, Christ came up to speak to them. This verb, came up, denotes that at first Jesus did not stand in the midst of the disciples, but but a little in front of them. And as they fell down to worship him, he moved close to them and he spoke to them face to face. He opens his mouth and declares that he has all authority. He has authority all power, and no mere man can make this claim. Calvin says, for no ordinary authority would here have been enough, but sovereign 
and truly divine government ought to be possessed by him who commands them to promise eternal life in his name, to reduce the whole world under his sway, and to publish a doctrine which subdues all pride and lays prostrate the whole of the human race. Jesus can only make this claim that all authority has been given to him if he is fully God. And yet he is distinct from the Father. Notice this in verse 18. He says, all authority has been given to me. And you might think of Daniel 7 in this instance where the prophet describes this act in verses 13 through 14. He says in this prophecy, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, that's describing Jesus. The son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given, notice that phrase, was given, dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is divine authority. This is divine power. Christ is the exalted one, the one at whose name every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is master. He has the authority. He has the power. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now Christ's authority is not bound by his presence on earth. Notice in verse 18 that he has authority in heaven and on earth. This authority is is comprehensive. It's it's all-encompassing. And as we see in the Gospels, Jesus has authority on earth. He has authority over disease and sickness, Matthew 4, 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Authority over disease and sickness. He has authority over demons. Matthew 4.24 mentions Jesus healing demoniacs. He has authority over sin. Matthew 9.6, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has authority over death. And think of the raising of Jairus' daughter in, in Mark chapter 5, the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. These are perfect examples of Christ's authority over death. Jesus even has authority to lay down his own life and to take it up again. John chapter 10. Yes, Jesus has authority on earth. And Jesus has authority in heaven. As one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, as Ephesians 1 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has authority in heaven. And he has the authority to rule either on earth or in heaven and to cast Satan and his demons into the lake of fire as we see in Revelation 19 and 20. 
And yes, Jesus has authority over us and authority over those who are not believers. One commentator says this, his authority extends to the people to whom he sends us with the gospel. No one is outside the sphere of his authority or is exempt from his call. This is also a statement of Jesus' ability to bring fruit from our efforts. Praise God for that. For it is through the exercise of his authority that men and women actually come to believe and follow him. And because Jesus has this authority that we see here in Matthew 28, he has every right, every right to issue his disciples their orders. And not only does he have the right to do this, he also has the divine ability to help them carry this out. And what does Christ's power demand of his followers? What, what does Christ's power demand of us? We need to submit. We need to submit to his authority and seek to honor his authority over our own plans and over our own desires. Now, when it comes to this commission, we might be a little uncomfortable. We might think without saying it, Jesus, you know my personality. This just isn't my thing. Or you might think without saying it, Jesus, I'm really busy. I don't have time to do what you're asking. Divine authority demands action. Brothers and sisters, don't let these excuses stop you from fulfilling the mission that you've been given by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Christ has the authority, the power to help you carry this out. And this is where we see the second element of this commission. The second element is the plan. The plan. Let's look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So in light of Christ's power, in light of Christ's authority, he commands, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And notice that word, therefore. I mean, anytime you see that in your Bible, you want to circle it, you want to highlight that, you want to pay attention. Why? Because you want to pay attention to what came previously so you know what to do next. Christ has divine authority, verse 18, right? And with that authority can command his followers to make disciples. And not only that, he has the power to help them fulfill this command. What once might seem impossible is made possible through the power of Christ. Now, the main command, the imperative of Christ's commission to make disciples is now possible. So what is a disciple? We're called to make disciples, but what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself to the discipline, to the teaching of that leader or way. To quote one author, Christian disciples are gospel people who introduce and reintroduce themselves and others to the person and power of Jesus over and over 
again. A disciple of Jesus never stops learning the gospel, relating in the gospel, and communicating the gospel. As was stated last week, in order to make disciples, you yourself need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In order to encourage others to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow Christ, you yourself need to be doing that. And Christ's followers are called to make disciples. Again, that main imperative, that command here. We must do this. We must cause others to be disciples, to replicate themselves, replicate ourselves of all the nations. Now, many have used this verse. You might have heard it used this way as a call to missions. You may have heard it said that in order for you to make disciples of all nations, you must leave and go to the nations. But the main idea of Jesus' words here is for his followers to duplicate themselves wherever they are, wherever they are. Who are the nations? Uh, This phrase, all the nations, uh, you could also say all peoples, refers to both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 in reference to both groups. All people need to hear of the saving grace of God. All people need to hear that gospel call of denying themselves, taking up their cross, and following Christ. And so how exactly do we make disciples? What what is this plan? How do we fulfill this mission that we've been given from our master? We fulfill this mission in three actions. By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. These three participles support the main verb here in this verse of making disciples. And so let's look at the first action, going. Going. We see here, verse 19, go therefore. We see in our text that it says go, but in the Greek, it literally means having gone. Having gone. And Christ assumes... Christ assumes that his disciples have already gone out to make disciples through the proclamation of the gospel. He has already sent his disciples out. Right? Think back to earlier in Matthew's gospel, Christ sent out the 12, and they were to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right? Matthew 10, verse 6. And here in Matthew 28, Jesus moves from gospel proclamation to the Jews to gospel proclamation to the whole world. And this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 49, verse 6. The prophet says, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Whether Jew or Gentile, it is assumed that Christ's followers are reaching all peoples with the gospel. Now, is Christ reasonable in this assumption? Yes. Yes, he is. In light of what Christ has done for you, Christian, it is reasonable to assume that you, as his follower, would be telling others, whether Jew, Gentile, man, 
women, different people groups of different socioeconomic backgrounds, all peoples, about the goodness, grace, love, and mercy of our amazing God. And to tell those people what has been accomplished for you through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and impending return of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Christ is reasonable in this assumption that we would go. Are you committed wholeheartedly to this work of bearing spiritual children or to the work of making disciples? And what do you need to do? You need to proclaim Christ. You need to share the gospel with as many people as possible. Do you have an unsaved husband, wife, child, parent, friend, neighbor, or acquaintance? If you do, then what do you need to be doing? You need to be prayerfully seeking opportunities to lovingly share the gospel with them. This work of disciple-making, this, this work of, of spiritual duplication must continually be on your mind at all times, no matter where you might be. Why, this is the commission that we've been given by Christ himself. That's why it needs to be on our minds at all times. Is this what you're trying to do as a way of life? And praise God for that. Since this is exactly what Christ assumed you would be doing as one of his followers. Can't reiterate this enough, but gospel proclamation needs to be a part of our way of life. And this is why I've spent these past several months teaching on this topic in our equipping classes, desiring to equip our congregation to proclaim Christ. And if you weren't a part of those classes and desire to grow in this area, please reach out to me because I'd love to come alongside you and help you grow in this area. This is the first action in making disciples, going. And one may get to this point and ask, well, isn't that enough? <laughs> That's a lot. Do we need to do any more than this? Let me ask you a question. Once a baby's born, is there anything else one needs to do in order to care for that baby? Or can you just simply walk away and the baby will care for him or herself? I mean, obviously there's further action, right? A whole lot further action. And so it is with spiritual children as well. So we have the aspect of going, but we have that second action in the plan to make disciples. It's seen in the second part of verse 19, baptizing. Baptizing. We read here verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism denotes a literal immersion of something, in this case, people, into water. I have heard it said that baptism is an outward profession of an inward faith. And as you have been faithful in gospel proclamation, as people have put their faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ alone, the next thing for you to do in your mission of making disciples is to encourage whomever you are discipling to be baptized. 
And Jesus moves here from all nations, beginning of verse 19, to, to them here, baptizing them. He's moving from the general to the specific here. Specific people, these disciples that have been made. Now, Christ's disciples would have understood baptism in light of what was practiced by John and Jesus, as seen in Matthew 3. After salvation, baptism is the natural next step, knowing that baptism is a testimony of one's union with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Paul highlights this in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, baptism has no salvific value. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But baptism is something all believers should do after they put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Peter would have had this truth in mind when he said, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter two. In light of this great commission, baptism is part of becoming a disciple. We saw in Romans 6 that we are baptized into Christ, but, but here in Matthew 28 is not just our immersion into Christ that is pictured by our baptism into water. We are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not simply a, a rote formula to use when people are being baptized, just something to say when people are being baptized, even though we often do that here at EBC. And Jesus is describing the union that believers have with the Godhead, with the Trinity. We are not, not only joined to Christ when we, in response to the gospel and as an expression of our faith, choose to embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior and become one of his disciples. No, we're actually joined to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is why Christ chooses the words that he chose here in Matthew 28, 19. And Calvin has a, has a good explanation of this. He says, there are good reasons why the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are expressly mentioned. For there is no other way in which the efficacy of baptism can be experienced than when we begin with the unmerited mercy of the Father, who reconciles us to himself by the only begotten Son. Next, Christ comes forward with the sacrifice of his death and at length, the Holy Spirit is likewise added by whom he washes and regenerates us, as in reference to Titus 3.5, and in short, makes us partakers of his benefits. Thus, we perceive that God cannot be truly known unless our faith distinctly conceive of three persons in one essence, and that the fruit and efficacy of baptism Proceed from God the Father, adopting us through his Son, and after having cleansed us from the pollutions of the flesh through the Spirit, creating us anew 
to righteousness. Is baptism important? Absolutely. And it is because of its importance that Christ so intimately links baptism with the mission of making disciples. So if you are involved in a discipleship relationship and the person you are discipling has not been baptized following conversion, what should you do? You should immediately help them to understand the importance of baptism and then to make sure that once they understand its importance, that they are baptized. If you are one of these people who believe that you are a disciple of Christ, but, but you have never been baptized, I would encourage you to sign up for our baptism class that's taking place next week. I'll work through what baptism is and is not and help you develop your testimony to be shared at our baptism service in a couple weeks. And this is the second action in the plan of making disciples, baptizing. And the third action is seen in the first part of, of verse 20, teaching. We've seen going, we've seen baptizing, now we see teaching. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's not enough to go. It's not enough to baptize. You also need to teach. Observing or keeping, one could say obeying Christ's commands is at the heart of making disciples. One commentator says this, if non-Christians are not hearing the gospel and not being challenged to make a decision for Christ, then the church has disobeyed one part of Jesus' commission. If new converts are not faithfully and lovingly nurtured in the whole counsel of God's revelation, then the church has disobeyed the other part. We need all of these things. Going, baptizing, teaching. As we noted earlier, being a disciple means that, that you follow Christ and submit to his teachings. And this is a lifelong pursuit. Lifelong pursuit. And think about what Christ came to this earth to do. I mean, he came to provide a way of salvation for those who would put their faith in him. You could say, make disciples. And he taught truth to those disciples. If we want to make disciples, we need to be involved in teaching them. And this is not a work that we are going out alone. Praise God for that, right? We are united to the Godhead, the Trinity, and as such, we are able to teach. And Jesus highlighted this truth in John 14. Thought I'd bring up John 14 just one more time. I'll bring it up again in a little bit. <laughs> Jesus says this, verses 23 through 26, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will make our abode with him. We will dwell with him. We will make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. We're not going at this work alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit at work within us. 
You may be thinking, well, I'm not a gifted teacher. I don't know how to do this. Or I don't know where to start. I'd argue that based on this passage, you have all you need. You have all you need. You have God's word. It's through the teaching of God's word that the heart is penetrated. Initially through the gospel of Christ and then subsequently through the commands of Christ making it possible over time for every one of our thoughts to be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5. And how is the word able to do this? It's because the word is living and active and more sharper than any two-edged sword. All right, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Praise God that he has given us his word so we may grow to become more like Christ. The scriptures make it possible for us not only to be born again, but the scriptures also make it possible for every one of our thoughts to be brought into captivity, to obedience to Christ. And you see that here in verse 20 in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe, to keep, to obey all that I commanded you. You're to teach those whom you are discipling all that Christ commands us. Don't know where to start? (laughs) Start reading through the Gospels. We've highlighted David Helm's one-to-one Bible reading as one of our books of the month this year. And there are questions in that book that help you work through the Gospel of Mark. And if you don't have that book, come talk to me and I can get you those questions. I'd also encourage you to go to the discipleship training sessions this month. We have one next week after church and one on the 31st after church in W101. Contact Joseph Hunter, our discipleship coordinator. His contact information is in the bulletin. Talk to me. Talk to any other leader here at EBC. We'd be happy to provide you with the resources to help you disciple someone else. So what's the plan of Christ's commission to disciple? Or to make disciples by going, baptizing, teaching. And again, we are not alone in this mission. This is where we see the third element in Christ's commission, the promise. The promise. Look at the end of verse 20 here. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew concludes his gospel with Jesus' promise to be spiritually present with his disciples until the end, of this, the end of this age. That is until his return when he will once again be present bodily. Now this phrase, I am, here is the same phrase that we've seen in John's gospel. Ego, me, I, I am. It's an emphatic statement that is describing Jesus' presence with his disciples. And we've seen this in our study through John 14, haven't we? That he is with us, making his home with us. And what a privilege it is that our master would make his home with us. 
so we can be used in this mission of making disciples. The one who we saw in verse 18, the one that has all authority, the one that is with his disciples, he's with us until the end of the age. And as we think about this mission, this mission of making disciples, we might think that if we just muster up enough strength, we can fulfill this task well. And newsflash, you can't. We must be reliant on the power of Christ in us to accomplish this task, seeking to honor God, bringing him glory. The disciples represent everyone in the church to which he writes, and as a byproduct, everyone who professes to follow Christ in any age. He calls his people to make disciples, and he promises to be with them in every respect. Now, this promise here at the end of verse 20 forms, forms an inclusio with an early part of Matthew's gospel. And that, that term, inclusio, is like a bracket, all right? You can think about them like bookends. Any of you still have bookends on shelves? Any of you still read books? No. Um, <laughs> just use your iPad, Kindle. But you can think about an inclusio like a bookend, that it highlights a theme or idea at the beginning and the end of a story. So this is the end, so you can think about what happens at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Despite the Great Commission, what we see in Matthew is a record of the gospel centering more on Christ's attributes, who Jesus is, than on what his disciples are to do. Christ has power. Christ has authority. And he is with us. The second half of, of verse 20 is linked all the way back to Matthew 123. All the way back to Matthew 123 to, to frame the entire gospel with references to Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, God, remains with us for now and through eternity. What a glorious promise. So what do we do? And what do we do, brothers and sisters? We must go out and obey his commission. Even though we may think we can't do it, even though you may be having all these excuses run through your head right now, know, because God's word is true, know that Christ is with you enabling you to fulfill the mission that's been given to us. We've seen the power. We've seen the plan. We've seen the promise of Christ's commission to disciple. And may we, as disciple makers, be committed to the mission that Christ has given us, all for the glory of his name. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. We praise you for being the, the wonderful, compassionate, loving father that you are that would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to this world to die for us as people. And may we be faithful to proclaim Christ. May we be faithful as we make disciples to, to show them the importance of baptism, to teach them 
to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Lord, we recognize that we cannot do this on our own. We praise you. Christ is with us, that we are united to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we are to do this to the glory of your name. Father, I pray for all of us in the room right now that we would be committed to this mission, that we would would see it as a privilege to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. As we go out to wherever you take us, God, that we would proclaim Christ, whether it's here in Skagit Valley or across the world. Be glorified in us as we do that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.